Welcome to the Mad Dog and Ollie Show, the number one growing sports podcast in the great city of Conroe, Texas. I'm Mad Dog. And this is Ollie. What's up? What's up? Today on episode two, to get us going, last episode we focused a lot on basketball. Now we're going to come back around to Houston sports and talk about the Texans. Yeah. Into a different sport. And right now the focus is on the draft and what just happened and getting Stroud at two and getting Will Anderson at three, which by the way is probably, I think it's a boss move. Like that's, I think definitely a boss move. They're like, Oh, you gotta make a splash. Like, how do you make a splash? And I'm like, that's how you do it right there. Mm -hmm. I think. And I, I like to trade up to three. I, I don't love that we traded our own pick, but I understand the thought process of being like, we're like, we're going to bet that we're better than the Browns because mm-hmm. as an organization who's trying to build a winning culture, you don't want to trade the Browns pick and be like, we think we're going to be bad because you've been bad for three years in a row. Mm-hmm. you got to make it. And I really like that. I wish there was a couple points in the later rounds, especially in round the back end of round two. We were – it might have been round three actually. I think we ended up taking uh, juice. No, it was round two. It was in round two. Yeah, we got Juice. I really wanted Mitchell from, uh, is it Iowa State? I'm not really sure Mitchell out of Iowa State. Which... Mitchell, oh, I can't remember who. I, I remember you talking about Schmidt, the first yeah, center. Mitchell Schmidt. Yeah, yeah, that's the center I want. He got drafted by the Giants. That would have been better than Juice. I think Juice is higher floor, lower ceiling. But I, I liked, I wish we could have gotten that. But I, the, the thing about Juice, probably... Juice is a big, he's a big body type center. And he's a, a very intelligent, from what I've heard, analyst breakdown, he's very intelligent. He's just not anything special out in space. And with our offensive scheme, you need to be able to block in space with the with the Kyle Shanahan offense if that's if it's gonna look very very similar to that, which is what we all think it will. So that that is a little rough, but Juice is correct me if I'm wrong, isn't and I, and I was reading this, and it's that in this offense, the center is the, one of the most important positions in this offense, just because, like you said, you got to block in space. Mm-hmm. But you got to be. They got to know their calls. They got to be on point, know who to help. Yeah. Because yep. I don't think it's necessary that they have to be the best center in the world. But like you said, be in space, which I think we came back around later and we got another interior guard. It might have been the fifth round. That, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he Bradford. He I'm pretty sure. Yes. No, no, not Bradford. It was um. Oh my goodness! Oh, the Seahawks is Brandon Bradford. That's what I was thinking. I'm not 100 percent sure. He's he's the white dude. <laughs> I if I it was uh, Jarrett Patterson. Oh okay okay yeah. From Notre Dame. He yeah, out of Notre Dame. Got him. I like that pick. I think he has more upside. So I think to probably I, I, correct me if they can correct me or I might be wrong, but I think the plan would probably be to start juice right off the way. And then I think they feel like Patterson might have more upside long term. Yeah. And Pat, they can all play both guard they can both play both guard positions as well. So if I mean we, we don't think Kenyon Green will be getting replaced, but if you're not feeling good about your other guard spot, you can and they're both looking good. You can slide one of them in there too. No, I, I, I agree. 
I, I really like C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson. I, Will Anderson I'm and C.J. Stroud. Um, Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. That's. I'm just so ecstatic about that because we finally aren't. We're doing something completely different than what we're used to. And when we think about big trades recently, the most recent trade we're going to think about finally won't be the DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson trade. Just the worst trade a team I've been a fan of has ever made. I agree. And then also, it's about getting leaders on both sides of the ball. Like, yep. getting Stroud. Like, I was I, I was a believer in Mills, but I don't know if I believed him being a leader, but I believed that he could he could play, and I was wrong on, on that. Mm-hmm. But I think Stroud's a leader. I think he coming from just being an afterthought for a vast majority of his career, I think he'll have that, that allows you to be a leader and step up in those situations. And then Will mm-hmm. Anderson, all I've heard is he's the hardest working dude you'll ever meet. For sure. He comes in and he, he's one of Saban's and, favorite people, players he's been around. For sure. He said yes, that. And I love his personality just through videos. I think he's a fun guy. I think he's, he's a genuine dude, not fronting anything. I agree with that I'm as also well. A big believer in the fact that one defensive lineman can change an entire team because the ability to get pressure mm-hmm. and the ability to take over a game mm-hmm. as it can it makes your corners you don't have to cover pressure, for as yep, long. It takes pressure off your other linemen. D linemen and takes pressure off of your your corners and safeties. And speaking of safeties, I was listening to one of our news newly signed free agent acquisitions jimmy ward it was his first press conference since he signed as a texan and he was say, and the thing that got me most excited about that he said well of course he talked about his time with D'Amico and the 49ers and how he highly respects them but he somebody asked him a question about Derek stingley and and he was just gushing about Derek stingley he said you can tell that cat just moves different on the field and he said, once he puts it all together, I'm not even going to try to look over on his side because I know he got that on lock. And I just think that's super high praise for a second-year player who we know struggled a little bit. But he's got – I think he they have a great new head coach that can help put him in positions to, exceed, to succeed. I agree. And also look at this. Going back to the Will Anderson trade and why people think we gave up a lot, and I think we did, but I think it's worth it. Because if you look at these teams that are outside of the Eagles who are built very differently than a lot of other teams and they didn't win the Super Bowl but look at a team like the Chiefs this is a great example they have one veteran D lineman that is extremely good and then they fill out the rest with young and they young talent and cheap talent because that one guy is so good the Rams even did it they shipped off um they got rid of Bobby Wagner and Jalen Ramsey now they're paying Aaron Donald and most of their draft was defense because it's like you can you pay the offensive mm-hmm. side of the ball now. It looks like we're getting into this era where you're going to pay the offensive side. You want speed. You want to be able well, to put up points. And then, you're, and then you're just like you need that one dominant defensive end, and then you can fill up with enough young, mm-hmm. fast talent on the defensive side of the ball. All the, because of team. All, the, and all the new analytics are saying it's, it's a crazy passing league. Like when you look at correlations between what affects winning and look at different types of stats – the number one thing is passing offense and things that aren't super important are run defense and, and things like running game, but pass defense 
and having good pass rushers and also being good on third down by having a lot of receivers are some of the most important things that that are um, for today's NFL. Yeah, well, like if you look at the last two Super Bowl winners and it's the Rams and the Chiefs, you got to feel like with their offenses, they're so confident in the ability to like, oh, we can score every possession. We just need to guarantee ourselves that we have an impact player that can wreck one or two possessions a game. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when you go through a game, it's not you're not going to score every time, but neither is the other team. You just want the guarantee that you have a player that's going to make that impact. And I think with the Texans, that's what we're going to get in Will Anderson. I also think on offense, our third round pick of Tank Dell, which at the time I was skeptical on and the more I love, I love the that more pick. I see it's I see so much Deontay Johnson. I see so much Tyreek Hill. I got another another good comp for you. Somebody we know all too well. I think he's very similar to T.Y. Hilton as well, who who used to torch the Texans. Because I think he's going to be an issue. I think there's a reason. Like today I saw the rookie premiere. Mm -hmm. They invited out. Will Anderson, C.J. Stroud, and Tank Dell, and they're all three mm-hmm. going. I think it's interesting that Tank Dell, a third-round pick, who probably was the seventh-rate wide receiver off the board, mm-hmm. got invited to the rookie mm-hmm. premiere because there's real success there. C.J. Stroud See, and him are buddies. They're really good friends. They really want to do this. I, yep. no, I Tank actually messaged uh, C.J. Stroud to t- after day one to tell him, uh, hey, try to push for me to get drafted, and C.J. actually did tell tell the front office that he thinks Dell would be a great addition. And another thing I love about the Tank Dell addition is I think out of all the quarterbacks in this class, CJ's the perfect one to throw to him. I mean, accuracy is key when throwing to him. And once you get the ball in his hands, that's when he's crazy dangerous. So so if we would have gotten something like someone like AR fifteen or Bryce Young I mean, specifically with AR-15, I don't think he's accurate enough to find him medium to long range down the field. Or in Bryce Young, I I just don't think he's tall enough in the pocket to be able to throw darts to him. So I think CJ is the perfect quarterback from this class to throw to Dell as well. I know. And so this is the last topic I want to bring up on the Texans before we transition into um, the before we transition into the Rockets. And that's the fact that our win totals are at five and a half. And I really like the over on that because I think we have a weak schedule and the fact that the fact that we have a weak schedule and the fact that people are going to take us lightly. I think we hit the over on that. I think personally, six wins is almost a guarantee. I don't think we're going to be that bad. I don't think we are that bad when I look mm-hmm. at the roster top down. I might be biased, but I see a lot of rosters that has more well, goals than we do. We might not have the crazy top-end talent, yeah. but we, I think, just top to bottom, we're a lot more well-rounded than people think. Well, when you look at our team, I think our best position group is offensive line. And they and that's and probably for a young team with a young quarterback, it, the offensive line or defensive line are the two probably the two most important parts to get to get perfect because you want your your quarterback to have a clean pocket, see see what he can do. Don't make the game harder than it already is for him to adjust to. And I think we've we've set him up perfectly to be able to give us six seven wins. I think our ceiling's about eight wins. But especially when you look at our schedule, we 
play only three, three, four teams that I think are substantially better, like substantially better. We're probably worse than most of the teams we play, but when you add coaching all together and some of the leaps that some of these players can make throughout the season, I think we're looking at a pretty good season, looking at six, seven wins. So our, our home opponents, there's only two playoff teams, and it's Tampa Bay and Jacksonville. And so Tampa Bay, like last year, out of playoff teams, mm-hmm. will basically play – Tampa Bay had a negative record. We'll play – we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We have, we'll play eight home games against teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. Anchor Mayfield might be starting against Bay. And then on the, um, for the Buccaneers. And on the road, on the road, we have games against Atlanta, Carolina – in Annapolis and in our, our division, the road games against Cincinnati, New York, Baltimore, I think those are going to be hard, really yep. hard. And But I think one of the big reasons we're going to take a, a bigger jump and not just win two, three games is because of our coaching and because of the new hiring of D'Amico Ryans. And speaking of new coaching hirings in Houston, I want to transition to the Rockets here and talk about, I hope I don't butcher this name, I mean, M.A. Udoka. Yes, sir, M.A. what that means. And what that means for this organization going forward, because I mean, you are lifelong Rockets fans, big believers. We watched every game for that years. was bearable. For years. That was bearable. Recently, it's been unbearable to watch at times, and we still keep up and do our best. And I still say I probably just, watched seventy percent of the games with and it's, of the product. Sometimes is definitely unbearable. I probably would say I was at forty percent this year because I. It was just getting so out of control. It wasn't that it was just hurting my soul. Mm-hmm. It is painful watching us. Yeah, it's painful to watch when you believe in the players so much, but the product is just so, so far away from where you think it could be. Like, I. And it wasn't like I was watching a team void of talent. Like, I saw talent. I just saw just no cohesion. It was mm-hmm. weird. It was like I'm nobody buying into the roles. Yeah, it looked like I didn't feel like you knew your role. Like I felt like KPJ and Jalen Green felt like they were the top dog, and then Sengun also thought he was like the offensive hub and top dog. And so you never established who was doing what. Then you have Kenyon Martin demanding a trade and what an average twenty points. Mm-hmm. And you have Jabari Smith you're trying to fit in. You got to just go in, and that's what I think Udoka is. I think he's a leader. I think he's more confrontational. I think he's going to mm-hmm. go right in. I think he's going to come into the building. He's going to be like, look. Yep. You you are going to have this role. You're going to be go-to score. I'm needing 25 points a game out of you. You, I need you to be a facilitator, an offensive hub, and produce. KPJ, I need you to accept if it's a def- if it's a six-man role or if it's this. I feel like he won't be afraid to have these conversations. Exactly. If KPJ decides to get upset, because he's going to be like, well, then you can sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not – he's not here to deal with it and the Silas to cater to him because I think they've catered all that they could. Yep, they've been catering since think- James Harden. They've been catering the stars since James Harden. And I'm just happy that because you, when your team is that good, you have to do that. But we never transitioned transitioned out of that. I mean, we had John Wall. We were catering to John Wall when he was here for a season and a half. I mean, there, it's just, it's just ridiculous. We didn't ever transition towards having having the number one person being our GM and head coach. Those are the number one people. And we've been treating these young rookies like they should be the number one people in the organization. And that's just not how, how we were going to grow. 
So and now, and now somebody's got an issue. Everybody knows the person at the head of the snake is the Doka, most likely. Which is right, which is good. Everyone's got to grow up at some point, too. I mean, even in life, not even just in sports. But these these young men on the Rockets are going to have to grow up and realize it's not everyone's going to average 25 points a game. Like, somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to make sacrifices to be winning, and that's why I want a veteran player. I don't know how I feel about trading a bunch of rookies for it, but that's what I feel like Udoka's going to do. And I've said this multiple times, and I like KPJ as a player, and I think he needs to be a six-man. I think that's the best place to get the best out of him the best version and that's the best that can contribute to winning and i think i think silas even knew it i I, i'd like to believe he did i think he was smart but i think he was afraid of having that conversation because he felt like kpj might not take it well not only that we didn't have a better option at point guard our our other options were rookie year ty ty washington who looked amazing in the g league but sometimes like a deer in the headlights when he was in the NBA and Daisha Nakes, who we we don't have to get on. We shouldn't spend much time talking about that dude. Oh, this. <laughs> he got his name dropped. That's enough. For yeah. Me. Like, but like, I look at it and I would really and like, let's say we bring a Harden back, or we bring a uh, oh, what's his name, Fred Van Fleet from Toronto, or a Tyus Jones. Like those those three guys should start because it makes more sense for the offense mm-hmm. and how we want things to operate and i feel like that's or even a george hill type i mean he could start but only demand about 20 minutes a game like he's your starter but you can put still play kpj maybe a little more minutes than him but you just have somebody that can start out the game the right way get Jalen in in his groove early and things of that nature i think even something like that would be good yeah, no, I, I agree because that's what's exciting about this hiring. And I think I, and I was somebody that went on and said that I was cool with Nick Nurse. But I like this because I feel like Udoka is just a leader. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a hard nose. And I you can, I, and I, you and can like, tell you like with the, Nurse. He's a defensive mind, but I think he's he's like Popovich. He's yep. defensive minded, but I think he's brilliant. I think he's a leader. Like He's a leader Popovich of men. He's defensive minded, but like. He, but he has a great offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steve Kerr comes from the Popovich coaching tree, and he has a great offense. I mean, that's that's Popovich's scheme. I mean, when the Spurs were dominating, a defensive-minded coach had the most beautiful brain of basketball ever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what we can do with Udoka. And I think it, the Celtics not having him are, is hurting, and I get that they have their, their um, policies that they're going to follow, and I respect that. And I think that getting into that – right now would take away from what the Rockets are trying to do on the court, getting into his off the court issues, because I'm a, I believe that if, if, if nothing ever comes up again, then he is good. He deserves a second chance. You can work with that. What he can't have happen is any of that get brought up again, because then it takes away from the product you're trying to put on the court. I have a belief that Udoka is not going to let that happen. I, I definitely don't think, don't think he will. I don't think they would have hired him if they felt like they were at risk of allowing that to happen again, just because it's too much to put on the name on an organization that quite frankly is seen as dysfunctional. No, I agree with that. There's, I I would be highly shocked if he messed up off the court like that again. He's I've listened to every press conference he's had with the Rockets so far. And he seems like exactly the type of dude you want to be running your franchise. And I mean, People, everybody messes up at points, so I'm not going to hold that over his head. Fool me once, shame on you. He's taking it on him. 
that's shame on him. He's taking accountability and then fool me twice, shame on me. So I'm I'm going to give him a chance. I'm not going to hold it above his head unless he gives me a reason to not a second time. I, I agree. I think, and I think this is a good hiring. I think we're going to make big moves in this off season. I really hope we get lucky in the draft lottery. And I think all of this, I'm a, we haven't had a lot of fans. I think it's going to put people in the stands. We're going to have a good home court. Oh, for sure. And we're going to be able to do a lot of things. It's going to be fun. Now, interesting enough, another Houston team right across the street over at Minute Maid, the Astros at home, they're struggling right now, man. I mean, uh, they can fill up the stands. I mean, man, they're, they're struggling. only struggling like, because of our expectations. They've been decent, but, yeah, we're, we want them to be number one in the division most of the season, and they're not looking amazing. Well, like, we look at it, and Bregman hit his first home run of the season at home yesterday. And I think I, – I don't know exactly if you – about how many home runs he's hit this year. Let me let me pull this up real quick. Bregman's has four home runs this year, so only one at the home ballpark. And I know that's not, like, a ton of home runs to look at. But an interesting stat is at home we are 8-11 and 11 as our record. On the road we are 8-4. and four. So I know we have high expectations, but I do find it weird that we are performing better on the road. I mean, hitting-wise. I mean, that's like the big mm -hmm. key when you pull up these scores when we're on the road. I mean, when we lost to the Giants, we put up a total of, uh, let's see, we won. It looks like the first game we won 7-3, to three, and then we didn't score it and only scored two runs. Those were home games. Well, and then but when we were at Atlanta, we won 6-4, 6-3, 5-2. Mm -hmm. We beat the race 5-0. Well, honestly, uh, we, I think it's probably – a better sign that we're struggling at home from this perspective. If you, if you think about it, we're, we're coming off six years of being in the ALCS. We, we've been dominant. So I can, I can understand if some of the guys are, are a little more laid back at home. I mean, they're not trying to be, but I mean, they're at home, they're in the comfort of their bed. They're confident in their abilities. So they're just not, gearing up as much as they are on the road when it's already a little out of your element, your anxiety is already up a little bit. So I just feel like we're a little bit laid back at home. And of course the injuries have, have hurt this team as well. I mean, they're, they're starting yeah, to pile you can, if I we mean, go through the people that have had some type of injury at all this year, I mean, Tucker's gotten hit by pitch and it was pretty bad. Jordan's missed a couple games. Pena had to miss a game or two, I believe. And then our pitching staff, almost all of them have had something so far already. And Altuve hasn't even played a game this year because he took a hit mm -hmm. to the hand from a pitch in the uh, WBC. Mm -hmm. And he's he's getting close to the coming back. Brantley's and, been gone. Like, what's interesting yeah, Brantley's been hurt. But another thing I find interesting and in like a lot of our struggles from this team this year is Bregman is someone who's been around. So he, so he, you're right. He could be lackadaisical because last year he turned it up after he, his child was mm -hmm. he had his first child and he turned it up and he kind of locked in and was able to go in. And he's someone I think who goes in and out of spurts of being locked in on the field. But another person that struggled is Jose, um, 
Abreu, and on top of that is Jeremy Pena, and yep. those are people who haven't been the six straight ALCSs, and those are like the ones that you need to produce more, especially mm-hmm. at home. Jose Abreu should be able to Abreu to the Crawford box. Yeah, Abreu is the way more concerning one, in my opinion. I mean, because Pena he hasn't had a home run in a whole yeah. season. If I'm not wrong, it's like almost 160. I can games. I can understand Pena not being locked. He obviously was locked in in the weight room. He he seemed to gain a ton of muscle over the off season, but I can understand if he's not locked in from a, a seeing pitches perspective. And he started to pick it up these last couple games. I know he's had a couple home runs recently, which is a good sign. But Abreu's way more concerning when you look at the fact that he's making substantial money. We have him for two more years after this season. And if he plays like this most of the season, it's looking like that's just going to be dead money because there's no way we can afford to keep him in the lineup past just this year if he's not only hitting singles and basically hitting 200 only hitting singles, never hitting for power. Yeah, because he's... And, and the other thing to look at it is like, is he like playing terrible, like from a hitting perspective, like in general, like, no, but when you bring in someone like him and he's supposed to have more power than Yuli, cause you let Yuli go. You got to look at it as in like, he is hitting and giving you what Yuli would have done just with the contact mm-hmm. aspect. And worse and defense. Like Yuli was a gold glover. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And this is worse defense. And I feel like Yuli even could take advantage of the Crawford box. And I mean, Jose Abreu, he could be in his own head. I don't, it's just Mm -hmm. weird to me to see someone lose so much power so Mm -hmm. quickly, especially after 2021. So two years ago, he was an MVP and a shortened season. He still popped over three, batted over 300 and popped over 20 home runs. I mean, in a short season, Yeah. I mean, that age could be hitting quickly. It definitely could be. I mean, we're 31 games into the year. We're almost a quarter of the way through. I think we're, we're and he hasn't hit in the home run yet. No, and he has 16 RBIs. Meanwhile, you like, I mean, you, you, there's players on here like Alex Bregman, who to our standards have been playing awful. Yeah. Like awful. Had terrible like hitting woes. I mean, he has four home runs and he's batting 212 with 15 RBIs. For Bregman, I mean, that's one less former MVP contender. And that's that's not amazing. But. I mean, Martin Maldonado has a home run. I mean, we can't base everything off power, but he's batting .04 worse than Abreu and he has a home run. And Martin Maldonado is expected to give you nothing on the offensive mm-hmm. side. When we have so many players on there, uh, on the in the lineup hitting under their weight that's that's probably why we've started off so slow i mean we have good pitching we have great players as well but jordan and tucker aren't going to carry you the whole way and dubon we have to give dubon some flowers he had a crazy hitting streak he he's been one of the very bright spots as well as hunter brown hunter brown is looking like he could definitely be a rookie of the year contender i know and, like, we like to sit here and think – and I think getting Altuve back will be huge. I think it's the morale boost. You'd like to sit here and be like, well, getting Jose Altuve back is going to make this lineup light on fire. I mean, Dubon – I mean, I don't uh, – Jose Altuve never had a hitting streak like Dubon Exactly. Did, and they played the same When Altuve's back, you got to – I think you got to look at Dubon at center field. I mean, you might have to say, Chaz, you're going to be hitting DH every once in a while because Dubon is – you can't take him out of the lineup at this moment. 
or I mean, you, I mean, I don't know if he can play left field, but you could. DH he definitely can play left field. He's, he's a good, a great defender in all could, positions. You could definitely put him in yeah. left field and DH Jordan if needed as well. I mean, this. I mean, what Jose Abreu is getting it so bad. I mean, you might have to try him out at so first. Bad. We might see Jordan. We might be seeing Jordan at first before we really should have or should have needed to. Well, I think he, he should be. Arm. He has I think he should have been practicing that in the past more than he has, but. Maybe we're not in there from day right. in and day out, so maybe maybe they just don't have a belief he can do it. But I definitely think they should be doing that, trying him out at first. Well, he has a he has a a sleepy arm. Like people don't like if you sleep on him, he's going to gun you out mm-hmm. of home, uh, um, Jordan. And I think that that is valuable because you don't want to put that at first base. And it's it's interesting because they like Bregman's a third baseman, but when he was at LSU, he's playing shortstop the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the, the difficulty of playing those and switching positions at the pro level is actually quite difficult. Definitely. And I find it impressive what they've done with that. And I and I don't I don't play baseball, so I don't mean to undermine it. But saying to go from left field to first base, I feel like would be an easy could be an easier transition. You can't do it in the middle of a season, of course, but I feel like in an off season you can work on that. I'm not saying Jordan's going to be a Gold Glover, but I mean at the end of the day, neither is Jose Abreu mm-hmm. right now. And you can have the opportunity to get better bats in the lineup because what we're just getting right now is, will will eventually do I think the laws of averages even out and we take this division easily and we'll go into the playoffs and none of this matters? Probably. I mean, they, they do it every year. They start slow and they're going to go and win 14 in a row and then they're going to consistently mm-hmm. have a winning record the rest of the way. Yeah. And every team's going to have a slip up and we're going to catch everybody before they even – before they even know it. And so I have this question for you right now. So the Astros are sitting at 16 and 15. Yep. They are eight and 11 on the road or at home and eight and four on the road. Their projected win totals are looking at 94 and a half. Yep. Do you like them to be over or under that for the rest of the year? Do you think they get over 94 wins this season or do you think they're under it? That's a pretty hard question. If I'm, yeah, if I'm putting a substantial amount of money I'm probably gonna have to say under because we don't know. I mean, we've been start out started out with bad luck the whole year, and I just don't think I would be willing to say that we're gonna get healthy at some point and go on a crazy run. But I that does not mean that I think we're not gonna be successful this season. You just gotta get us to you gotta get us to October, and I think our team will be great. I. It would be tough seeing our team in the wild card round because we know anything can happen in the wild card. But you know, I'd still favor us. So if we can avoid that, that would be ideal. But looking at the team so far, I'd probably have to take under on that one. And just injuries. I don't know. Last year we had a negative record. I think we were almost ten games under five hundred at one point. We might. That's have true. Yeah, we had eight. a pretty bad stretch. And and then we went off. And we went off and we won over 100 games last year. So I'm probably going to take, with Altuve coming back and the way that I think mm-hmm. this team is going to fix out, I, they're not going to finish negative at home. Possibly McCullers back at some point. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna go with the over. I think they're going to win 98 games is what I would probably put at, 97, 98 mm-hmm. games. And so we're going to wrap it up here shortly. And I, I got some quick hitters I want to touch upon before okay, we wrap okay. it up. And, 
So tonight we got the L.A. Lakers at the Golden State Warriors game two. Lakers mm-hmm. took the first game by five points. Jordan Poole shot an ill-advised shot at the end, in my opinion. I think you there's enough time to get a better shot. And when you have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson as your team, mm-hmm. you, you don't need to take that shot. That's a moot point at this at this stage. But tonight, Golden State is favored by six points. Do you how, how do you feeling about that game? Uh, about that one, I I don't know. It's it's hard. I loved Vanderbilt's defense on on Curry. He he's one of the best defenders I've seen on him since Delhi. I mean, we saw last round um, our Baylor our Baylor kid going crazy on him. But I mean, it's hard to say. I'd probably take the Warriors. I'd probably take the probably take the over on that slightly just because I think the Warriors are going to come out guns a blazing because they don't want to go down 2-0, but yeah. it's hard to say on that one. I know. Well, because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, like, do I think L.A. is going to keep it close? Because this is a matter of at a six-point line. Like, do you think the Lakers are going to be able to keep this one close and even if they win or lose? Or do you think Golden State's just going to come out and blow them out the water? I like L.A.'s defense a lot. I like what they're doing. Golden State's not going to get free throws like they want to because this isn't the Kings. That's not Sabonis. That's Anthony Davis. He's going to make you take floaters. Their degree of difficulty and layup is going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to hit threes. And I do not like how slow-footed Kevon Looney looks for the Warriors. I'm going to take – I'm going to take L.A. to cover by six points, but I wouldn't be shocked if Golden State won this game close, maybe by three or four points, but I would definitely take L.A. to cover. And I don't know what the over-under is on this game, and I'm going to look it up. I got you. I do not know what the over-under is on this game, but I would lean for the under because I really like the defense that – LA yep. brings to the table, and I don't think their offense is like otherworldly. Yep. So right now the over under is at two twenty seven. So I mean, if we had a one ten to one oh eight game, we'd still be hitting the under. So I, I'm going to take the under. If I I'd had to in this game, more. I'm going to take I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take LA to cover, and don't be surprised if AD gets another twenty twenty game. Um, another thing that's happening this weekend is the Wells Fargo Championship. And I know we're not experts in golf, but right now, at the current time, let's, let me refresh the standings. Uh, I don't want to butcher these pronunciation, but um, Han Lee is tied for first with Xander um, Schaufel. And right now, Xander Schaufel is the odds-on favorites in Vegas, with not too far behind him is Roy McIlroy, and then third place is Patrick Cantley. Um, I know you're not like too familiar in golf, but I was curious too. Do you like? I know you yeah. know a few of these names, but are you? Do you like the favorite right now with Xander, or are you someone that's going to take the bigger name and Roy to kind of figure it out, or are you? Or do you really like the value? Because right now Jordan Spieth is plus five thousand because he's starting mm-hmm. off a little slow. Do you like him figuring it out? No, I'm. I would like to say Spieth. If he was closer, I would definitely take Spieth. That's somebody that I'm a little partial towards because I remember watching him. A, a little more than some of these other guys when I was growing up, but I'd probably take Roy McIlroy at this moment. I think he, he, he'll figure that out. Yeah, it's a great bet at plus 700. I'm looking at the standings uh, right now. I know you don't have access to this the same way I do, and I'm going to look up where Jordan Spieth is real quick. 
in the standings because when I looked earlier, he was plus one through five holes. So he had, so he's plus one through thirteen holes. So I don't love that, and the yeah. value at plus five thousand for him to to go to the climb up the leader. I mean, he can do it in one day. He's that What's good. What's number one at? High. I'm actually number one. He's at uh. I got you. So I mean, he's only six. So he's only six strokes back of number one. And, but Xander's number one with five holes to play, and he's tied for first, so he could come back. And Xander's the favorite at plus 450. I mean, through the first round, I like Xander with five holes left. I feel like the conditions are really good for him right now. But Roy McIlroy at plus 700 doesn't seem like a bad bet. Justin Thomas at plus 2,500 feels like some really good value there. And I wouldn't and I wouldn't sleep on um, Joe, Joe yeah. and Kim. And that's that's um, one of our leaders in this, and he's at plus two thousand, and that's great value bet for someone who is who is up in the leaderboards. And the, the guy who's leading right now, Kwang Hoon Lee, is plus three thousand, and he's winning through the first half or through the first round. And that's great, great value. value for someone who came out on day one and looked really and is looking good day one because we've seen sometimes all you need is a good start and you can keep yep. rolling off of that. And You'll be good. So there's our opinions on those and the betting lines there. And then the Kentucky Derby is also this weekend. This is what we're going to wrap up on. And we, and every year the Kentucky Derby comes around and suddenly everybody knows everything there is about <laughs> horse racing. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know exactly what I'm looking at when I'm going to horse riding, but I do know how Vegas works and I do know how sports books work. And I do understand what we're looking at. Um, we were looking at earlier Forte, who is the leader. Uh, mm-hmm. The odds on favorite at three to one. Never lost, only a draw. In seven races. Yeah, well, I think it's not a top three finish, or maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's it's something where like a it didn't count. But yeah, seven races, six first place finishes, and then the second favorite, five to one, is Tappet Trice, who has five races, four wins, and um one like i guess i don't exactly know what the one is on the um, it should either be a draw or no contest of disqualification usually that's that's as far as mma terms goes and correct me if i'm wrong you like the five to one no yeah i think five to one odds only on a a horse that's lost one race um I, i i'm pretty comfortable with that i mean three to one's not bad as well but I think just for a little better value, I'd go with five to one. Yeah. Also, just tap it, Trice. He comes from this horse is actually. Um, I was looking at it earlier. Comes from another. It comes from the same. I think it's Trice family, that has won this race before, and this this horse is actually appraised to be worth over one point three million dollars. And I didn't look at the career or earnings from Forte, but I mean he doesn't even. He has like 800,000, I think, in career. I think Forte's up and coming. I think there's a reason he's a favorite because I think he's the young stallion. But I'm going to I'm gonna be with you five to one on a historic bloodline in the race. I, I really like that. I know last year we saw the longest long shot ever win, or it might have been two years ago win this race. But I think this year we don't see that happening. We're going to go tap it trice at five to one odds as our favorite bet. Angel of Empire, eight to one. We feel like that's mm-hmm. a little bit too high. He should have been probably the, the 12 to one with two fills. Cause we, of course we're sitting out here. I can like <laughs> no horses, but with that being said, the mad dog and Ollie show, we're going to take uh mad dog's going to take 
LA to cover the six point spread in the under. All he's going to take Golden State to cover instead of LA, and he's going to yep. take the under as well for Wells Fargo. For the Wells Fargo's championship, um, we went over and we really liked the value that you can get from Roy and what you can get from Justin Thomas and what you can get from um, mm-hmm. Moon Lee. We really love the value there. For the Kentucky Derby, we really like Tappet Trice and the value that you can get there. So there's our quick hitting. Those are our bets. Those are our analysis. And with that being said, we're going to log off, and we'll see you all later. Yep, yep. Thank you all for listening. Show.